Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Cardavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. Today is episode 20, and the title is, We Just Started Talking, Turning Conversations into Entrepreneurial Opportunities. Our special guest is a friend of mine and serial entrepreneur, Bilal Akram. Bilal is a former Cleveland firefighter, the founder of Platinum Transportation, Code M Media Group, which includes Code M Magazine, a digital publication focused on African-American men, a line of cigars, and the list goes on and on and on. So listen in today. Bilal's going to talk about the ways that he's literally turned conversations into opportunities simply by being open to the possibilities. He also shares some of the ways that he's navigated his life and entrepreneurial journey as a man of color. And most important, Bilal shares with us today the ways that his entrepreneurial eye has allowed him to have a lifelong adventure of travel, learning, and creating new enterprises around the world. Stay tuned for a unique story of Bilal's journey of life and leadership and impact. Podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. So I'm excited to be here today with a newer friend of mine. I think I've known Bilal about a year, year and a half. And yeah. Bilal Akram is our guest today. And I met Bilal doing something. One of my passions and pleasures is cigar smoking. <laughs> and a group of us who get together regularly at the time in Cleveland, Ohio, Bilal was invited by another mutual friend. And I felt like we made an immediate connection. Absolutely. Uh, Bilal is, we're going to talk business today, but Bilal's a guy with just, he's got soul and he's got <laughs> deep spiritual soul. He's a guy that cares and loves and, and cares about people deeply and about change and impact. And that's why he's a perfect guest for us on the Impact Leadership Podcast. He's, he's a former Cleveland firefighter after oh, wow. many years, retired from that, and now has founded a couple enterprises, a platinum transportation, a, um, he can tell us more about that, mm -hmm. Code Media Group which includes a digital publication called Code M, which is focused on men, especially African-American men. Mm -hmm. He's also got a line of uh, cigars. <laughs> I heard there was a, a line of rum maybe coming out of this. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So where, when does the airline come in? <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to hear right, a Right now, might better get them cheap. You know? <laughs> That's right. We're going to hear a fantastic journey today and uh, excited to have you here, Bilal. Great. Yeah, great to have uh, you. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff and Craig. And uh, it's an honor to be a uh, topic of impact leadership. I uh, appreciate the invitation. And um, like I said, Jeff, you know, you're just, when, when we met, we, we just we just clicked. We just hit it off. And, and I mean, the, the circle that we met the night, that group of men that was sitting there on that deck, and the subjects that we talked about are subjects that you don't hear in everyday conversation. Mm. Subjects that are considered taboo um, in mainstream America. 
know, we touched we touched about racism, sexism, and 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 discrimination. Mm. You know, just just a whole myriad of topics that most of most of the media just shun and and just sweep under the rug because they are very hard subjects. And I think I think I was me and DJ were the only uh, individuals of color at that meeting. Yep. And That's and true. you know so. It's like we were like E.F. Hutton when we talked, everyone listened. You know? <laughs> but it, it, it was refreshing to have a forum, be able to express your ideas in a very intelligent and empathetic way that, you know, or an emotional way that, you know, people understood what you were saying and it wasn't taken personal by the receivers. So, yeah, um, like as Jeff said, I'm you know name is Bilal Akram, born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, and I had four siblings, and I was the oldest male, middle child, oldest male. Come from a family of a very close knit family, hardworking. My dad was a, a, an entrepreneur in his day, so imagine an African American male being an entrepreneur in the fifties and sixties. Wow! And the kind of roadblock and obstacles that he faced, and I would often sit and listen, especially as I got older. Mm-hmm. As I got older, he became more wiser. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> that the way it usually is? Ironically, you know, for some reason. You know. <laughs> but I would sit and listen to some of the stories and some of the things that he encountered you know, as an African-American male in business. But what I did differently from my dad was, as Jeff mentioned, is I took a career as a joined the Cleveland Fire Department. And I was a young man at 25 years old. I had a wife and two kids. And I was working with my uncles in construction. And it was just... It didn't, it wasn't satisfying. Hmm. So I needed to make a little more money to have some more benefits. Then I had an uncle and a cousin that were firefighters. And these guys had houses and new cars. I'm like, they never work. I'm like, what what am I doing wrong? What am I missing? (laughs) So, you know, I was encouraged to take the test. I was about 150 pounds soaking wet. Everything was heavy and hard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is how the beginning of my career started for the fire department. I passed the written test and I did very well. Then I received a letter from headquarters stating that I had a physical abnormality. They took me off the list. So I had to go and get two independent consultations from two different doctors to verify that I was a healthy man. I turned the paperwork back in, they reinstalled me on the list and as they say, the rest is history. Well, I come to find out that those kind of letters were given out to a lot of minority candidates huh. to discriminate and prevent you from taking the next step of making sure that you're fit for the job. A lot of guys would just have taken the letter and said, okay, well, I guess I can't get on. But I didn't choose to stop there. I fought it. And both doctors, they said I had a, ha- a heart murmur or something. And both doctors disputed and said, I, I, I wish I had your heart <laughs> you know? in more ways than one. You yeah, know? right. So. You know, I had an undistinguished career. I mean, I, I did a good job. I, I enjoyed going to work. The first eight years, I really didn't because I had an uncle who was on the job, cousin. My uncle was very, he's a Vietnam veteran. He didn't take any mess from the guys. And, and when I got on, I was told in the academy by certain firefighters that we don't like you because we don't like your uncle. Wow. I'm like, it had nothing to do with me. You know, you don't know me. So from there, my, I had an attitude, well, you know, Mess with me, I'm, I'm, you're, not, you're not going to mess with me. I'm going to stay on my ground. And, and, you know, so I had a, a rebellious attitude when I got on. In my first eight years, I was at different stations where I was usually the only black 
was the only minority on my shift. Mm-hmm. Um, I was punished my, in, in, in the road. Get, first three years are wrong, you do an internship almost like you go to different stations. My first station was an engine company. There were a lot of minorities there. Second station was a squad company, rescue squad. At that point, we were the 13th busiest uh, rescue squad in the United States. Wow. So we were constantly running. My third move was to the hazmat hmm. and hazmat material unit. And I was told I was sent there as a punishment. Well, punishment resulted in pretty much getting an overtime every uh, one or two overtimes every check. That's a great punishment. <laughs> <laughs> but the downside was um, I was the only black on my shift. And, and these guys just totally, they knew I didn't eat pork. So guess what they have for dinner every shift? And so that was a way of discriminating and getting me out of the club. So, it, But in the meantime, what it did was it taught me resolve. It taught me to get through the day and not depend on anyone else. So I had a routine that I, I you know, worked one day on 24 hours and was off two days. So I developed a routine to keep myself busy. I started learning how to cook and wound up realizing I'm a really good cook. <laughs> I took cooking classes and, you know, but anyway, through it all, uh, it, it taught me a lot. And ultimately, I wound up my career 33 years later as the director of employee assistance program, EAP. And ironically, a lot of those gentlemen gave me grief at the beginning of my career. They became my clients for the end of my career. And I didn't harbor any animosity, any, wow. any ill will. I treated them as, a, as though they're my brothers. You know, mm-hmm. because they know what they did. I didn't have to bring it up, but I still showed them love as Christ would say, love mm-hmm. your enemies, despite they did try to use you. So wow. that's, a, and, and from, from the fire department, my last couple of years as director of EAP, because I dealt with emotional, physical, financial, marital, uh, children who committed suicide, a firefighter, firefighters who committed suicide. I mean, it just, I see the myriad of, of, tragedies and, and issues that press men to the point of breaking. Yeah. And I start realizing, look at the landscape and probably 70% of the people that came to my, through my doors, because under the auspices of EAP, it's a voluntary, free and private, you know, everything that is told to me is confidential. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I took in a lot of stories, a lot of energy from and I realized, who do I talk to? I'm taking in all this stuff from people. I couldn't burden my wife with this. First of all, mm. it's against EAP rules and regulations because it's confidential. Right. I couldn't talk to anyone else. So I said, well, look, I need to get me a therapist to talk to <laughs> so I can abide under the confidentiality of EAP and yet still have someone that I can relate oh. to. Yeah, so there was a gentleman that, I, that when I was in <clears throat> graduate school, he was one of my professors. And when I graduated, he became my counselor, my therapist. Mm. And this man is one of the finest and wisest men that I've ever met. But what I was saying was, my last few years on EAP, I realized so many men were dealing with so many issues. And I started looking at the media landscape and realizing no one is speaking directly to men about about the realities, the harshness of life. Mm. We talk about sports, we talk about motorcycles, cars, cigars, talk about women. But what about the issues of life? You know, when you are disappointed, you know, when you're laid off or when you have health issues or when your wife or your children have health issues or 
when you have a drug or alcohol problem? Mm. Where can you go or where can, where, what resources do we have to speak to me? And thus, I was given the vision to create Code Media Group, which ultimately created Codium Magazine. Wow. Okay. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions. I, I, I'm already loving this, and I knew I would, Bilal. Mm-hmm. You, you talked about resolve. Mm-hmm. And what I heard in your story was, because this is, an, and this be, could be a whole other topic for another day, mm-hmm. you know, the whole issue of difference and color and racism in this country. And so often there's this debate about opportunities, and you've achieved a great deal, and, but you had to overcome things that a lot of others didn't, is the reality. Mm-hmm. You still mm-hmm. got there. You got to the end game, but your journey was different. And one of the metaphors I think someone shared with me a few years ago was a lot of times you have two groups of people, and one group's running a 100-yard dash, and the other one's running a 100-yard hurdle. Right, right, right. <laughs> and 100 yards around. behind. <laughs> right, I can still say it right. I, right sorry. So I think that res, I'm guessing that resolve is going to show up in this conversation. Mm-hmm. And of course, what you shared is why I know you and I connected that first night because I also have a deep passion about men and men's issues. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I appreciate what you said about that group because that's what I love about the group. I miss yes. that group not being in Cleveland to sit yes. around and have conversations about all the taboo topics mm-hmm. and to not always agree. As right. you remember, and right. and to get at it, but to still hear each other, correct, and be open. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a great name for a for a meetup group. Taboo topics. <laughs> I like that. Taboo <laughs> topics. I like that. <laughs> Maybe we ought to do that with uh, with Caravera, Jeff. <laughs> Taboo <laughs> topics. Day. Taboo <laughs> topics Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what what an interesting story that you have. And I, I wonder, you know, as I think about if I was in a position where I felt that animosity for eight years or whatever that Mm -hmm. was that you were Mm -hmm. dealing with, Mm -hmm. at what point do you just say, you know, I don't like this environment. I want to do something else. What was it that kept you there? Well, first of all, I knew that when I went home and and opened my door and walked in, I had a beautiful wife (laughs) and I had three kids. Yeah. Who looked up to me and depended on me. Yeah. So I didn't have a choice as far as not taking care of my family. Sure. So whatever it took, it meant going through a wall, going through fire, whatever it took, mm-hmm. putting up with those prejudiced attitudes and, and, and you know, and, and uh, situations I was put in. That was just part of the course. That was just part of my plan. I, but because I had to show, I had to model what a man was to mm-hmm. my family, you know, what was modeled to me. I just emulated yeah. what my dad did. So I can show my sons what being a man looked like taking care of your family. In your mind, that was, you had to stay with the fire department for a period of time. Was oh, it just because, because you started there, you needed to be there at least for X, X while? Well, no, actually, I mean, it was a great career. I mean, you know, okay. sometimes I didn't put as much emphasis. I, I, would always, I would always say, oh, I'm only a fireman. My wife would be like, mm. ah, you know that? Don't look at yourself like that. That's a great career. It's an honorable career. Yeah. And a lot of my friends were, you know, dressed like this and were, you know, I always wanted to carry a briefcase and sit in the office. But <laughs> you know what? I realized that I work 24 hours, then I'm off 48. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, the soap, all, all the smoke and soot would come off with a good, nice <laughs> shower. You know? And it also allowed me time to develop me so far mm. as going after various interests, business interests. 
So I can always say I'm a fireman and I have my base set. I also could explore wow. business opportunities on the side without it impacting my lifestyle or my family. Wow. And so I guess you're probably a man of action as well, which I'm oh, sure that suited. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this, <laughs> people see code in, but they don't see the other 25 businesses I tried yeah. before. You know? <laughs> I hear you. So tell us more. So tell us more about Code M, Code Media Group, and what is that? What's the vision around that? Well, let, let me backtrack a little bit. While I was on the fire department, I used to work for Continental Airlines, and you me know, part time on. You did, Greg? Yep. Back Great. back when actually it was People Express, and oh, then People oh, Express oh, was bought out. That was a long out. time yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, Continental was a great company to work for. I was there mid nineties, early two thousand. Okay. It was a great company to work for. I mean, probably one of the premier domestic airlines. But during my time with the fire department and with Continental, I was reading Jebez Prayer. And it's a prayer about mm-hmm. Lord enlarge my territory. I mean, I would read this prayer. I would say it probably 20, 30 times a day under my breath during that mm-hmm. day. Right after 9-11, I told my wife in December of 2001, I said, I'm going to China. She said, you going where? I said, to Hong Kong. And she said, who do you know in Hong Kong? I said, no one. Well, why are you going? I said, that's where they make stuff. (laughs) I said, China's the manufacturers of the world. So I flew to New York, got my passport. And on December, I think it was December the 8th or 9th, I wound up flying over to Hong Kong. Didn't know a soul. Wow. I I flew to, uh, the the route was Cleveland, Newark, Newark to Hong Kong. 15 and a half hour flight. So I'm at the airport in Newark. I see all these Chinese people, and I'm nervous. I'm like, Lord, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? And I see one African-American guy. We locked eyes, and I'm nodding my head. He nodded. I'm like, okay, I'm all right. So we wind up introducing ourselves to each other. He said, man, I'm from Atlanta. He said, said, why are you going? I said, I want to go and have some shirts made. I thought, I said, I took some orders. I would get some uh, dress shirts made, some custom dress shirts. He says, well, cool. He says, I, I do this trip every month. He says, it's a long flight. We got time to talk on the plane. When we land, why don't you hang with me? I'll take you to my tailor in Hong Kong, and then I'll go up to mainland China. I'm like, cool. That's <laughs> awesome. Wow. So from there, that was the first of my 20 trips to China. Wow. What After, a day with destiny. It really was. After huh. that day, I went to China once a month for almost three years. I didn't buy a stitch of clothing in America for that for that duration of time. <laughs> not not one not one pair of socks. You know? Yeah, I love Hong Kong. So yeah, I love it. So what it did was it gave me a global perspective for one thing. Secondly, I met another guy from Atlanta. We connected. The other guy, the original guy I met, he kind of faded out of my life. This new guy, we connected, and he says, "Look, why don't we get an apartment over here?" I'll live here and you can conduct the business stateside. So what we did was we connected with factories over there at an apartment there, and we would take orders to have products made in China and shipped back to America. Hmm. So, wow. you know, our goal at that point in time was to have five apartments around the world. That was pre-Airbnb. <laughs> I was going to Brussels. I was getting ready to go to Cayman Islands. We we're going to go to London. And because everything we were making was paying for everything that we did. Oh, fantastic. And I was still a fireman during that time. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but made some bad decisions with that. And we, you know, we lost a lot of money. Ultimately, we made a lot. But because my business partner 
that was a challenge at the time, made some bad decisions, it cost us some money. And then I just, you know, he left China and that kind of disbanded. But what I, the reason why I got back to Code M was because it, it gave me a global perspective. Code M is a digital platform and in which today it's an opportunity for us because this is a pandemic and the world is shut down, but everyone is on their phones, laptops, and, 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 um, and desktop computers looking for things to do and or read. So in every adversity, there's a silver lining of opportunity, and that's what I preach to my staff right now. Mm-hmm. I know you're a big person on vision. Mm-hmm. What's the vision? Because you've got a lot of tentacles in this vision. You're, mm-hmm. uh, you're, I, I think in some ways you're opportunistic mm-hmm. because things are placed in front of you and you see them, and some are more strategic. Mm-hmm. Where it's, it's, I'm going after something strategically. So how do all these pieces fit together? It's all vision, but from the vision, the opportunities arise because the vision I have for Cold Media Group, and the reason why I said Cold Media Group LLC is because there can be many different businesses under the umbrella of Cold Media Group. The goal is to develop multiple income streams, multiple opportunities, so that at one point, if something is down, something else should be bringing in some income. And the, the magazine is the linchpin. It's the, it's, the, it's the spoke in the middle of the, of the whole company because what we're doing is we're creating our readers and our potential clients for the products organically. Because once we capture you to read Codium Magazine, then we can insert an ad for Codium Cigars. Mm. So now you're reading the magazine like, oh, wait a minute, they got their own cigars? Or we could put an ad in there for the Cold M radio show. And we could put an ad in there for the Cold M television show. So the whole point is we're creating our own market organically. Mm. Um, I had a meeting with Jumpstart up here, and uh, I was talking to their director of marketing, and I was showing everything that I did. And the first thing that came out of her mouth is, I can see a cologne cover from this. <laughs> that's on my list <laughs> of course it that's is. on my list so the, the, the thing is um, it, it's a huge vision I just when I started I did a vision board and when I started writing it and when I completed it was almost like I was in a trance and yeah. when I completed and looked at it I was like wow how am I going to do all this <laughs> uh, yeah I, I feel yes I, <laughs> it I seemed feel. rather impossible <laughs> But the irony of it is everything that I've put on that list, I've been checking them off over the last two years. Wow. Well, you know, we, we did a program, we did a podcast. I forget which episode it is. I think it's um, coming It's called core four. Okay. Yeah. That's number five. Okay. Episode five. And it was about mission, vision, purpose, and values. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we talked about, and talking about vision, we were saying that, you know, if your vision doesn't freak you out a little bit, mm-hmm. it's too small. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's got to give and you I'm some goosebumps. It, just, yeah, <laughs> it goosebumps. does. It, it scares me. But what I re- and I also realized that, as Jeff mentioned, I, I, I am a man deep in my faith. I'm not going to beat yeah. anybody over my head. I'm just going to live my life as an example and yeah. speak about it because it does, it, it, it is it is how I operate on a day-to-day basis by mm-hmm. faith. And what I realize is everything that I asked for has been given to me. I didn't say when I wanted it. 
(laughs) (laughs) But it has been given to me, and I've been able to sustain this business without any loans, without any outside money. Right now, it's a a self-financed operation to the point that when I get to a roadblock, there is always a ram in the bush somewhere around the corner. (laughs) Wow. So I want to ask you a question. You mentioned maybe even before we started recording Bilal about a mentor you have, and I know you have multiple mentors. I wrote a blog about two weeks ago and I talked about how in life I've found there's three groups of people that are around us. Mm -hmm. One are the people who matter what our ideas are, they're going to tell us not to do it. (laughs) it, Be big, be realistic, you know, whoa, whoa, back off. All well-intentioned, but that's their version of life. Then there's a group who are just going to tell you nothing but good stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you go for it. You're, the, you're awesome. You're amazing. And it's sort of the ex- other extreme. Mm-hmm. But then there's going to be a small percentage, I guess about 10% if we're lucky, of people who are going to tell us the truth. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're going to love and support us, but they're also going to ask good questions. Mm-hmm. And they're going to challenge us from a way of, helping us see things versus taking us down. So mm-hmm. what's your experience been like around the people that you've surrounded yourself with as you've pursued this vision? Wow, that's a great question, Jeff. Uh, and it's an interesting one to the point that you're right. I've encountered all three of, of those types of individuals. Um, so what I realize is I'm at a point in my life where I speak very little about the vision, only to those who are, really in my inner circle, three, yeah. four people who understands of those four people, three of them will challenge me mm. and ask me, why are you doing this? What's your goal? What's the reason why you're doing this? You know, those kind of questions, but also say, I got you. Go right ahead. I believe in you. Um, mm. So important. So when, as it relates to the mentors I've had, my first mentor obviously was my dad. Um, I didn't realize how much he impacted my life until he's no longer here. Because I wind up saying, my dad would always say, or oh, my dad used to always tell me who I am. <laughs> I'm just like, I sound like him now. <laughs> That's a good dad. But those things that he shared with me are the things that keep me going on the days when I have doubt. Mm. You know, like even during this crisis now, he would just always say, it's like one day at a time. One day at a time. That's all you can live is one day at a time. That's a biblical principle, too. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You know? Um, and, and, and just realizing the, the heart and the grit and, and the courage that he had. At one point, my dad had the second largest minority construction company in the state of Ohio. He was the minority wing of Turner Construction hmm. in the early 60s. So, you know, he would walk into a bank. And they were literally called the police or the FBI because he would have a check of over $50,000. Yeah, yeah. Um, Wow. They they offered my dad and my uncle, Turner offered my dad and my uncle vice president positions in New York City. Hmm. My dad didn't have a degree, but he was knowledgeable, he was eloquent, and he was uh, articulate. Okay. And he knew the construction business inside and out. They did a job for uh, Turner. And the, the complaints for the job was they did a uh, cement job. They, they were sub the cement job for the parking lot. The complaint Turner had for them was job came in under budget. The cement was too smooth. 
Those were the complaints, you know? Mm. And then moving forward, about five, six years ago, I met a gentleman at a gas station. And I got out of my truck. He was at the pump pumping gas. And right then, the Blue Angels were in town. It was Labor Day weekend, right before Labor Day weekend. Blue Angels were in town. And one flew over the gas station. I literally could, I read the number on his wing. It was that low. <laughs> <laughs> and loud. So I turned to the guy, I said, wow, I love that plan. He said, I hate it. I sparked the conversation. I looked at his license plate. It was from California. So I inquired, you know, looking at the, all the data around me. I said, you live in California? He said, well, no, I live between here and California. Struggled with conversation. I said, well, if you travel, I have a transportation company for you to ride to the airport. We exchanged phone numbers. I followed up a couple of days later, called him. He called me back and said, hey, I can use your service. That one ride, we talked from his house to the airport. And he said, look, I like this conversation. He says, when I come back, let's, let's, go, let's go breakfast. Let's go have breakfast. So we did. And maybe a year and a half later, that gentleman asked me, he says, look, what can I do to help you in life? I like it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> no one's ever asked me that, you know. Wow. So there's some things that we, you know, we talked about. We ultimately did a rehab project in Shaker Heights, Ohio. We gutted a 6,000 square foot house with a pool house and a pool in the back. We gutted the house, six bedroom, eight bath, and we, we rehabbed the house and sold it for about $785,000. Wow. And he put up the half million dollars for the renovation costs. I brought my contract in. Well, since then, you know, he taught me about money. Hmm. So I always say that he was my financial father because he taught me the, the, the meaning of money, how money should work for you. And this man is worth uh, eight figures. So you could write the book, Rich Dad, Richer Dad. Exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. No, he's worth nine figures. I'm sorry. Nine wow. Figures. Okay. So, um, you know, and to this day, I mean, we got, go to his house and, and, and we talk. and. And, and honestly, he's expressed interest in what I'm doing now because he's seen me work at this and build this from, nothing, yeah. from an idea. Wow. And he likes the path I'm on. So there's some things that we're talking about moving forward. And then that allowed, that association allowed me to be, be ready for the next gentleman that I met. In April of 2017, my black car service was doing something for a C-suite conference in Cleveland, Ohio. And Someone said, Bilal, you need to go listen to this guy talk. I went in this room. I was, it was all women there, women of color. Uh, you know, so I'm, I, I'm, it was downtime for me. So I said, okay, I'll listen to this. I'm listening to this guy. And he, he, he looked like Craig or you or Jeff right now. He had on a dress shirt and, you know, jeans and, you know, just. No hair? No hair. <laughs> <laughs> no hair. <laughs> no hair. <laughs> he was just so compelling and down to yeah. earth. And he says, I woke up January 1st, 2012, and this is going to be the year of yes. If anyone mm. asked me anything reasonable, I was going to say yes to it. I'm like, oh, I need to meet this guy. <laughs> you know? And he said, this is April of 2017, and I'm still in the year of yes. Long story short was, he goes around the world, and he finances entrepreneurs, businesses, and dreams. Wow. He's the gentleman behind the company Priceline.com. He, mm. he helped build that and sold it and ultimately sold for billions and billions of dollars. And he just said how many entrepreneurs, he goes, he's 
uh, he's a consultant to the UN. He goes and talks to kings and presidents. And so at the end of the conference, I mean, at the end of that of his session, everyone is going to take pictures with him. So I just I sat back, I sat back and waited, pulled out my business card, and I said, Jeff, I need thirty minutes of your time. I want to take you to lunch. I was the last one in the room with him. I didn't ask for a selfie or anything like that. I had him in my car. I shook his hand and introduced myself. Red, and he says, oh, we can do that. I think we can make that happen. So he says, here's my card. He says, email me because I met a lot of people and remind me where we met. So that night I went home, April 12th, 2017. I said, Jeff, it was that on my computer. Jeff, it was very nice meeting you. Your talk was so inspiring. And, you know, I just, I can't. I can't thank you enough. I said, this is my promise to you. I respect who you are and your time. I will email you every week until we meet. <laughs> I emailed him every week until we met the last week of August. Wow. And he, he would respond from France, Vietnam, <laughs> from Dubai, from South Africa. That's <laughs> literally, awesome. Literally, he is all over the world. Mm. And when we sat down to meet, I was nervous. It was like my real life shark tank. <laughs> I was nervous, and he, like I said, he was dressed like you guys. I'm like, you know, so I had on this, just a blazer and a shirt. I didn't have his tie on it. He said, take your blazer off. He says, relax. Let's talk while we're old friends. What have you got going on? So I shared my vision of the Cold Media Group. and the mag I had a prototype of the magazine. Hmm. He says, wow. But he says, that's interesting. He said, I travel the world. I've never seen anything like this. He said, where's your phone? I pulled my phone. He says, take my cell phone up. I'm like, whoa. So he gave me his personal cell phone number. Wow. And I said, Jeff, this is the first billionaire's phone number I have in my phone. Mm -hmm. I said, but it won't be the last. He said, I like that attitude, and I bet it won't be. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so from there, fast forward, we became friends. Uh, he's my mentor now. Mm -hmm. And that's why I flew to Raleigh about a month and a half oh, ago, okay. Greg. Because he had a two-hour window. He says, look, can you meet me in Raleigh? So I flew down there just to meet two hours with Jeff. Wow. Well, I, I heard a couple things in there, Bilal, that I think are so important for people to hear. One is that last bit, without using the word, this is an example of doing whatever it takes. Yes. You said, I get two hours in the airport in Raleigh. It wasn't perfect, but it was perfect, and you yes. did what it took. Yes. But the big one, and I remember this when I met you, it struck me, and I don't know if this has been true your whole life. I'd like to know. Mm -hmm. You do, don't seem to hesitate to ask for time with people mm. and to no. tell your story. No. No. My dad always taught me, he says, son, in life, be a, be a brave man. A coward die every day. <laughs> the, the most that either one of them gentlemen could have said was no. Yeah. No. And then life goes on, and Somewhere down the line, someone was going to say yes. You know, being in sales, whatever it was I was selling, you, you anticipate the no's. But mm -hmm. the, the more no's you get will get you ready for that one yes. And all it takes is one. Mm -hmm. Wow. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. 
We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cardavera.com. Welcome back. So how much is your, I heard you say that your dad modeled that for you, talked about mm-hmm. being brave. Mm-hmm. How, how does your vision intersect if it does with this Ohio, this whole idea of asking for what you want? Uh, well, first of all, I know that I will never achieve my vision by myself because a hundred percent of nothing is nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? so, and and I, 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 I quickly set out to put together a team and it's, they become the cold family. And that cold family consists of about 14 people right now who helped me run the radio shows, uh, who helped me with the magazine, whether it's graphic design, editor, writers, uh, social media team. So what I realize is that if I give people the platform to shine mm. and to let themselves become a part of something bigger than themselves and can see the financial benefits down the road, then I will have a, a much better chance of achieving success collectively than I would if I tried to do it individually. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Another prime example is about a month and a half ago, right before I went to flew to Raleigh, uh, uh, my editor said, well, I met a guy, I showed him the magazine, and he says he liked it, but he wanted to talk to you. I'm like, all right, you know, because I heard me talk to anyone. I met this guy and we didn't have a lot of time, but Jeff, he was that person you said of the three people you meet, he was that person, the last one. He was brutally honest with me about mm-hmm. my magazine. Mm-hmm. I mean, to the point where I think five years ago, I would have been offended, mm-hmm. but because I want the best product out there on the market, I need to listen to the constructive criticism as well as those who, all those who were patting me on the back. And he was very honest with me about my, my magazine and some other things that I'm doing. And I said, man, I appreciate this. I appreciate this. I said, because first of all, you told me to my face. <laughs> that took right. a lot. That took a lot. Because he could have walked away, said something, walked away and be like, nah, I don't want to be that. I don't be a part of that. Or we'll put it out on social media. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, we, we shook hands. We, we parted. Actually, this was or pre-COVID, so we shook hands, <laughs> you know, yeah. and um, walked away, and I went and took care of some other business. Ironically, the next morning, he texted me, and he says, well, he says, you got a few minutes to talk. So I'm like, sure. So he called me, and he said, man, as I'm thinking about what you put together, he says, I know I was a little rough on you, but I want to commend you. He said, mm-hmm. you put together an awesome magazine with the resources that you have and really with no knowledge and skill set of publishing. Mm-hmm. He says, look, man, he says, I know you have a meeting coming up in Raleigh. You need something to take with you. Let me put some things together for you. So ultimately he did. Wow. And when I got back the following week, we sat down. He says, look, I want to be the president of your company. <laughs> he says, the skill set that I bring can take you to a whole nother level. Mm. And what I learned from the mentor who taught me about the real estate industry, what I realized his name is Harold. Harold can make a quick decision about a business based on his instincts. So I use my Harold's instincts and I automatically say yes to this guy. And he's become the president of my company. And the thing about it is, I feel like I've known him about 
10 years because his, his strengths complement my weaknesses. Mm. So we make a dynamic team. That is so important. Wow. So, you know, what the question is coming up for me, Bilal, is, I mean, you're still in the middle of this journey. You've had, Ooh, yeah, at the beginning, I think. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, who knows where the beginning and in the middle is. Correct. Can, that's all based upon where we decide the, mar- the road markers are. Correct. But the question coming to mind is, you've said a lot of different things, but there's people out there that are going to listen to this who either have a business, have an idea, wherever they're at, and they're looking for, first of all, they're looking for magic bullets. I don't believe there's magic bullets. No. But no. I think there's magic principles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do believe in magic principles. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the magic principles you would tell people who have a vision to create something, whether it's started or not? Well, I think one of the first magic principles or, you know, belief system you have to have is you have to have belief in a higher power. Whatever that higher power is, whether it's Jehovah, whether it's Allah, whether it's Buddha, Confucius, whatever your belief system is, you have to tap into that source. Secondly, you have to trust your instincts. You have to trust your gut that the decisions you're making are right. And once you say yes, then you have to let go. And you can't, you can't question it. You can't question it. Because... Once you say yes, either one or two things gonna happen. Either it's gonna work or it's not gonna work. <laughs> Those are the only two outcomes, you know. <laughs> Pretty simple. Exactly. And if it works, then you're great. If it doesn't work and it doesn't break you, then you go back to square one and start. I mean, no, and, and rethink the question and yeah. make another answer, another decision. Wow. So that's that's a little bit of uh, I would say bravery in the sense of you're willing to get out there and try something and Hey, if it doesn't work, then go after something else. And you, you right. said you had 25 different businesses or whatever <laughs> it was before, before code M I've yeah. been down that path. And it's interesting. One of the things that Jeff and I really appreciate is celebrating failures. I mean, it's not that we're setting out to fail, right? Exactly. That's, that's not the deal, but we right. can celebrate failures along the way. And if you have a big vision, Chances are, sometimes you're going to stumble along the way. Stumble I actually uh, emceed a, a fail con. So okay. it was a conference around <laughs> celebrating failure uh, back in, in uh, Charlotte. So, I mean, there's, right. there's fun things that we can do around that too. But when we get down to let's, let's try it, we have a big vision. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'm wondering from your perspective, you had the vision, you're starting to see these things come together mm-hmm. and absolutely agree, you know, Think about the higher power and mm-hmm. there's something beyond ourselves mm-hmm. and we should be doing things not just to serve ourselves, but also to serve our fellow man. Absolutely. Um, but as we, as you look at that vision, what is it about it that makes you say, okay, this is big enough or it's not big enough or this is in alignment with me? Well, it, it's in alignment with me because I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing the results. Now, one time, have you heard me in this whole podcast say I'm doing it for the money? No. No. I mean, obviously, the end result is I want to be a profitable organization. Sure. Two things, two things drive me. The first one is a challenge to myself to see if I can do it. That's one. <laughs> I just want to see if I can build an immediate empire. That's, I'm, I'm building a media empire. Awesome. And secondly, I want to leave a legacy for my kids and my grandkids. Yes. You know, because 
what I'm doing now is in every issue of my magazine, I put my granddaughter's name, the masthead, and I put future executives, Addison, Annalise, and Nora under that column. Because I want them to see, I want them to see, read their name in print in something that's being distributed worldwide. Mm. And secondly, I'm trying to install or plant seeds of greatness into them at an early age. Wow. Oh, that's so good. And, and I just started a production company called Man Productions with two question marks behind it. Addison, Anna, Nora, and now I have two grandkids on the way. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the logo is being drawn right now. I don't know if it's a boy or girl. I don't know their names. So it's two question marks, you know. And I envision that logo on a big screen one day before a movie that we've produced. Wow. There you go. So, Law, there's a question that's really top of mind for me, and sure. I, I go, I referenced this earlier, and I think it was over one of the cigar nights. Mm-hmm. You were talking about you'd gone to the Dominican Republic, I believe. Mm-hmm. You're talking about sourcing your cigars at the time. Correct. And you had done one of your conversations. I love how you talk about it because I do so much of the same. Of I met this guy. I yeah. met this person. And you met this person who gave you access to someone who produces rum. Yes. And, yes. and it became, oh, I can, keep the, I can create the Code M rum and all these oh, things. Absolutely. Yes. So here's the question for you. Craig and I are very similar in that we're idea people and I can be overwhelmed with, I could do this. I could do this. Mm-hmm. How do you, what do you use as sort of a discernment tool that says I can do everything, but here's the one I'm actually going to do. <laughs> I end up, I can do too many things for me. <clears throat> a lot of entrepreneurs have that issue. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, what, what, like I said, the first thing I learned early on is I can only do so much by myself. So what I realized is I have to create a team that I trust and who, who are accountable to each other and to me. So, uh, as I said, when I brought the gentleman on who ultimately has become the president of Cole M, he runs the day-to-day operations of the, of the media group. So he connects with the social media team. He connects with the editor. He connects with the graphic designer. He connects with Anything that's dealing with the day-to-day operation, I'm the 30,000-foot guy. I'm, you yeah. know, I'm making the connections to the potential rum distributors, to the potential clothing line people down in the Dominican Republic. We just started a comp- clothing company. Well, we just secured the name of it. We're going to call it 98.6 degrees. That's the name <laughs> of the clothing line. <laughs> kind of important right now, too, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Hey, I need to talk to you because I've been thinking about my, my own clothing line for tall guys that uh, don't want, don't, you know, long sleeves, yes, yes. Uh, thinner bodies. <laughs> <laughs> but ironically, while I was in the Dominican Republic, I'm sitting at a bar eating some food. Me and my friend, we, these guys are talking. We're talking one thing led to another. I was sitting next to the one guy and we started talking about cigars. One thing led to another. And I, and I asked myself, what business are you in? He says, I have a factory. I said, what kind of factory? He said, clothing. My ears perked up. <laughs> so I started mentioning about my experiences in China. And he turned to me and said, you know something about this? I said, absolutely. I said, I dealt with some of the largest factories in China. He said, here's my card. Can you please come to my factory? Hmm. I, we were, that was a Wednesday. We were there on Thursday afternoon. 
and he walked us through. He says, look, I can source out anywhere in the world. He said, this is what we do. He says, consider yourself having a factory here in Dominica. <laughs> and that's who I will source the clothing line through is through my contact there. Wow. Very good. So, Bilal, the question's coming up for me. I want you to envision, in order to bring this to a closure, imagine you're sitting in a conversation much like you've had with others. Mm-hmm. Other people have blessed you with your time, and someone's asked for your time. Mm-hmm. And they're, they've got an idea. They've got a vision. Mm-hmm. Whether it's just in their head and their heart, or it's, mm-hmm. they've started wherever they're at, and they say, give me what I need. Mm-hmm. What do I Ooh. really need to hear from you? Mm-hmm. What do you tell them? Well, the first thing I say is, everything you need, you already have. <laughs> That's the first answer I give them. And, and, and people have asked me that, and the second challenge I give them is, create your own vision board. Because no one can help you create that but, but you. Yeah. Because you know what you want to build. And there's an old adage that I don't know if it's a proverb or something that says that once you commit to writing it down, the universe will conspire and act to make that a reality. Absolutely. You know? and, and every cell in your body will, will activate to say, hey, we got something to work on. We got a goal now. You know, and I mean, you're not going to get it drinking beer and eating chips every day, you know, <laughs> watching somebody else build. No, you have to actively get out and participate and do the hard work and get the door slammed in your face and get your, your, your arms dirty and bloody and all of that. But you have to get up and, and make it. You, you have to get up and, and, and at least attempt to do it every day, to do something every day to achieve your goals. That's what I would tell a person. You, you have everything you need within you. And secondly, to create a vision board. So Bilal, you've, you've, one thing I want to ask you about, you've talked a number of times today about the importance of team. You've mm-hmm. talked about how you rely on it, how it allows you to be strategic, lots mm-hmm. of things. So, so tell us a little bit, how do you approach the idea of building a team? Like what's important to you about the team itself? You know, what are the keys to leading that team? Tell, tell us some of your take on team. Well, I think one of the first things that you have to be is you have to be authentic. They have to see and understand who you are, and they have to un- they have to art- you have to articulate your vision to them. Because I think if people understand your vision and they see your willingness to do whatever it takes to make that happen, I think it inspires them. It also is important to allow them to have the spotlight, to shine, to to be able to implement their ideas, because they may have some, they may have a, 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 an approach to a problem you're not thinking of. Yes. So if you allow them the freedom to be able to fully express themselves and to be truthful and honest to you, I think that helps. That's the glue that solidifies a team to help everyone build. Because when we have a staff, we have a monthly staff meeting, and before every staff meeting, either myself or another team member will lead us in prayer to let our team know that first of all, it's about, it's about God. Yeah. And we're all here, first of all, as, as, as an instrument of the Lord so that this meeting will be held under a spiritual guidance first mm. and foremost. Yeah. And then we have an agenda. So everyone has an agenda readily, readily available, whether it's a hard copy if we're in the conference room or virtual copy so that we can follow the agenda. We allow every team member to go through their department then we'll have a Q&A after their 
after their um, overview so that we all make sure we are on the same page at all times. Um, I was just telling Brad, the president, that we're going to create a family fund. And I just read this in the magazine the other day about someone who has a company. We're going to create a family fund for emergencies just like this. If a team member is on down, you know, having a hard time or family member, then we can have funds to contribute to help them out financially. Um, I'm looking, talking to an attorney and accountant. There are five core people in my team that's been with me from day one. I want to give them an equity position hmm. in the Cold Media Group so that they understand they're not working for me, they're working for themselves. Yeah. Uh, we're looking to implement key man insurance policies, those who are key to the, to the company. You know? But the whole point is, I, I just allow room for growth. I, you know, I don't profess to know it all. I, you know, I'm just one person. I have limited uh, amount of knowledge. But I, I'm also their biggest supporters. You know, they can call me at any time. They know they have an open platform with me. But they know that if I don't agree with them, I'm, ultimately I'm going to make the decision I need to make what's best for the team, yeah. best for the family. We had, a, we had a guest on their podcast on Monday, actually, a guy named Larry English, who did okay. just, just amazing ideas. But he was talking about team, and the one thing that didn't surprise me, but it's so unusual, he said, when they're hiring, we make hiring decisions based upon 50% their skills. Okay. That's it. The mm -hmm. other 50% is character and character. heart, who they Absolutely. are. Mm -hmm. And cultural fit. about 1,000 people now, and they're still doing that. Mm -hmm. And I'm sensing you do something similar, whether you get into the percentages or not. Mm -hmm. You're hiring people for what's in here in their heart mm -hmm. more than what's in their head. Mm -hmm. More than what's in absolutely. And passion. There's nothing that can replace passion. Absolutely. You, know, you have to be passionate about what you're doing. And, and to me, that, that's a key component for success. And that passion will help you ride through those lean days, those days where you may have hit a considered what's considered a failure. But all it is that you realize you can't do it that way. It's not a failure. Yeah. You know? So here's an interesting question about passion. A lot of employers say that, leaders say that. How do you figure out passion? Because pretty much every employee who wants to get hired mm -hmm. is going to say the right things around passion, right? Mm -hmm. No one's going to come in and say, you know, I got passion for nothing and I'm here to dial it in. So what do you use? What's your little secret on finding the real passion? Passion has to be authentic. It's not something you can fabricate. Not something you, that, that's, it's not something you can put on, like it's on a resume, I have passion. Passion has to come out in your conversation. It has to come out in, if, if, if Jeff, if I'm interviewing you, just say, Jeff, I'm interviewing you to be the director of my podcast. And you're coming to me and say, hey, hey Blah, I got ideas. I couldn't sleep last night, but I got these ideas. <laughs> I, I couldn't wait for this interview because I tried it over here. They were like, but I think that you, you know, that's passion. That's right. passion. <laughs> you know? You're right. You can see it in the eyes. You can see it in their motion. If they can't sit still in the chair. Exactly. If they exactly. can't stop talking about it, if they're constantly reading about it, if they, yes. oh, wow, you know, I just read this book on, I just read this article on. Yes. Yeah. And it, it, it actually, it, it equates, passion equates to action. Yeah. And, and, and I, you, you can pick that up. Like, it's just, I just, and I realized when I, when I am, am, am in prayer for certain needs with the company, and it's in my own quiet time, when the talent is in front of me, I recognize it. And I'll say, thank mm -hmm. you, Lord. Mm -hmm. And another example is uh, 
I was doing the radio. I was one of the main hosts for the radio show, me and two other co-hosts. And I enjoyed it, but I got to realize it's not about me. You know, it's, I wanted someone else to have a platform to shine. Yeah. So I was in my Bible study, and it was the last session for that, for that quarter, right before the, the Christmas holiday season. And we had a guest speaker. And this guy came in. He told us his story. He was pretty much homeless. Well, wasn't ho well. Him and his mother and his brother were homeless. They were living in different houses with rodents, and you know, his father didn't want him. His mother died when he was sixteen. His wow. older brother got strung out. He had to go identify his older brother's body, and oh god, he wind up making it and making his way through life. And now he's a motivational speaker. He's written some books. He has a family. So much has unfolded. I'm, I'm yeah. so grateful for everything you've shared, Dalal. Yeah. I know you. it's going to make a difference for the people that hear it. Thank you. They're going to hear a message they haven't heard before because my take on today is your, your tone, your voice, and your message has been different than even some other great things we've heard, and it okay. comes from a different place. I love it. Mm -hmm. So we always wrap up the same way. A couple questions for you, Bilal. Mm -hmm. One, is there anything going on right now that you in particular want to highlight or promote? Oh, yeah. Like I said, we, we can already start Code M Network. So, you know, we, we are passionate about that. Um, I, we, we sent a magazine out to a list that a gentleman from Philadelphia gave me. One of the people on that list is a, a young African-American male, and he understands the role of television and media in, in, in our community. He called me, we connected, and he has several businesses. And he said, look, man, I love what you're doing. Let's start a Cold M Network. Fine <laughs> with me. <laughs> Let's do it. Because that is on my vision board. As quiet as nice. it's on my vision board. There you go. Nice. So listen out for a Cold M Network coming out soon. And oh, maybe it, it, maybe we will maybe we will house the Impact Leadership Program on our network. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. We're always looking for the next home. That's right. Absolutely. So, so how do people get in touch with you, Bilal? What's the best way to learn more about you and Code M? Uh, they can reach out to me. They can, they can go to, to, our, to our website, www.codemmagazine.com. So that's two M's in the middle, codemmagazine.com. And my email address is my first name, Bilal, B-I-L-A-L dot Akram, A-K-R-A-M, at Code C O D E Media Group LLC.com. Awesome. Well, thank yeah. you for that. And we also have, I told you, we have a couple questions we like to ask at the end. And sure. Uh, the, one, the first question is so imagine you've got the opportunity, which you've told so many already. <laughs> I mean, that's what's so funny about this question for you. There's someone out there living today that you, you would like to meet. You get a chance to meet with them. Who is it and what's the question you're going to ask them? We just wow. started talking, and <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the first I would who I would like to meet, I like to meet Barry Gordy hmm. because of his documentary that was on Showtime called "How I Built Motown." Hmm. And if you think about that one little house out of Detroit, where those records came out of, it changed the world. Yeah, that music changed the world forever. Absolutely. And he used, he used to work for Ford, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was Ford. And he used the manufacturing blueprints on how they, built, how they made cars to make music. 
and I'm using Motown's blueprint to make Code M. Because <laughs> Code M is going to change the world. There That's you go. Awesome. Nice. So the other question is one near and dear to my heart, Bilal, because I'm also a movie guy. Uh-huh. So when it comes to leadership and impact, what's the movie, the character, the scene that comes to your mind that, ta- that speaks to the idea of impactful leadership? You know what? I, and I always, it's one movie that I always think because I, I read the question, I thought about it, and the first movie that came to my mind, Godfather. <laughs> and, and not for the criminal element, but the fact that how when the Godfather stepped back and he retired and Michael took over. Yeah. And he, and he would, you know, when he told them in his room, were you loyal to me? They said, yes, then be loyal to my son. Mm-hmm. Because now he's the head of the family. And then the other scene that gets to me in The Godfather is when, when Michael was talking to his father, just the two of them, when he's older, thought, you know, he was older. And he asked Michael these questions Did you do this? He said, Yes, dad. Yes, dad. I, I got all that. But it's a chance, it kind of reflects on me and my dad. You know, when the world spun out of control for me, I would go sit next to him. Hmm. And I would ask him questions. And it would help put things back into perspective. So because Michael controlled this large, you know, illegal operation, he still needed guidance. Mm. You know, all the people came to him for answers, but he went to his father Mm. for answers. So those are two scenes, two, you know, that's that's those scenes from the Godfather that impacted me and helps me to think about when I'm making decisions. I tell you, I think I think all three of us have shared uh, aspects that that we each have had very strong fathers in in many different ways. And Mm -hmm. wow, what a blessing that is. Yes, it really is. And I try to be here. I'm here for my sons. Matter of fact, I'm grooming my youngest son to take over for me in the next four or five years because of his experience. My son's had the opportunity to travel the world. He's been to about 15 countries over the last three and a half years. Wow. So he understands global business yeah. and he has the personality to be able to transcend beyond any society or any, anything that he may encounter. So mm, I'm so kind of grooming him to take over a division, but to, uh, but, but to be a part of the overall conversations of the whole company so we can hear how it's ran. Mm, it's so important. And I, I love the aspect of giving them that, that global perspective. That's, that's the way my sons are. We, we tried to make sure that we had no, no preconceived notions about anybody mm-hmm. um, growing up and mm-hmm. they have friends in every walk of life. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's, that's the blessing for them. Yeah. It's a blessing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Bilal. I knew you would, I call it, bring it. You brought it from the heart. <laughs> uh, I knew you'd be authentic because that's who you are. I am personally grateful for today and I'm grateful for that time that we met on that porch a year and a yes. half ago. Yes. It opened between us to sit down and let's say we just started talking. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I thank you for the opportunity to be on Impact Leadership that you thought enough of me to give me the opportunity to tell my story. I hope it encourages someone. Uh, if someone is listening, please feel free to reach out to me via my email. Uh, I'll do what I can to you know, help or know and maybe have a conversation with you 
And Jeff, I'm looking for your contribution to Code M at some point in the future. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Yeah, I know. And, and Craig, you too. I don't know if you're a writer, Jeff, but you're more than welcome to contribute something to Code M as well. I'm an English major. I, I, I oh. do a lot of writing. I love yeah. it. I love it. You're, you, <laughs> you have the open platform with us, my friend. <laughs> Sounds okay. great. Well, Thank thanks for being, being a good new friend. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Stay safe. Okay. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartavera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.